Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations from me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Guys, I'm really excited to have Abby Sclair with us today. Um, she has a really amazing foster story and adoption story. And so I'm, I'm going to let her share that with you. Um, but I'm really excited just to kind of hear about the resources she's found and put in place for kids in her home. Abby, thank you for coming on today and for sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Can you kind of tell us, I just kind of got the down low a minute ago, but I need a much more detailed and robust version of this story of starting foster care, like that foster care journey at age 19. I feel like that's huge. Yeah. So my husband and I met in high school. Um, We did long distance for a year and a half because he's a year older. And so he graduated high school and came down to Texas. We um, met in New York and I was born and raised in New York until I turned 18. And then, um, at 18, a year and a half into long distance dating, I moved down and became a lived-in nanny and we got engaged and then subsequently married, um, when I was 19 and, um, moved from Dallas to Houston when he got his first job. And I started, talking to him about just feeling it was on my heart to do foster care. We had talked about adopting before we were married, but um, fostering wasn't something that we had talked about. Um, And so uh, I was just in a unique place where um, my husband had a job that was good enough to support both of us. Um, And so we were kind of at this crossroads of, do I continue going to school? Do I do something else with my time? I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so we both kind of felt like it was a blessing from the Lord that um, we had this opportunity for me to be able to do something else besides just a career. And um, so I felt on my heart that that was through foster care. Um, So I brought it up to my husband and he initially said, Uh, that sounds great for someone else to do, but that sounds like a lot of emotional and physical and financial um, stress. And I don't want to take that on, but he agreed to pray about it. So at the time, because we had just moved to Houston, um, we were looking for a church. And when we found the church that we ended up staying at, it was Adoption Sunday. And so they had an info session on foster care and adoption um, at the church. And so we went to that. And the wife was like, oh, I just feel for these kids and all this stuff. And my husband's like, yeah, I've heard that before from my wife. Um, But it wasn't really clicking. And then the husband went to speak and said, you know, the Bible's kind of gray about a lot of things as far as what his will is. But it's very clear multiple times throughout the Bible that it's our our duty as Christians to to care for the widows and the orphans and to protect the the vulnerable. And so that was kind of what clicked for him. And he felt like, OK, this is what we're called to do. And so um, that was probably three to six weeks after we had that initial conversation and he got really excited about it. So we started the process to get licensed um, when I was 20. And um, in the state of Texas, you have to wait until you're 21 to become licensed as a foster parent. So um, once I hit my 21st birthday, we started taking in kids um, through an agency that did voluntary foster care. 
And our first placement was a UTMB prison baby. And we had that baby uh, six weeks until mom started the Bambi program through the prison system. And he went back with her and he, I think he's like 10 now and he's successfully stayed with her. And Wait, can you tell us about the Bambi program? I don't know anything about that. It's um, It's a program through the TDCJ prison system where if a mom has a baby while incarcerated, they put her in this like halfway house type situation and um, they basically train her on how to bond and take care of her babies. And they have a pretty good success rate for outcomes for, um, you know, babies staying with their moms after the program and not reentering the system. And that was the success story that we had too. mom stayed off drugs and kept it together and still has custody of her kiddo. So that's really amazing. So are they, do they have to go finish their sentence or do they just get to go to this halfway house and raise their baby? I believe they finish out their sentence there. And I think there's very like specific requirements for being able to actually participate in that program, but she met the requirements. So she did That's that. Amazing. And yeah, it was, it was good. Um, our second one was I would say, I mean, in both situations of voluntary foster care, I think it was more voluntold because if you're in prison, you can't like choose to raise your child or not. It's kind of more CPS showing up saying we're going to take your baby and her going, no, wait, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second situation was like that, too. I think he was maybe the eighth um, that that mother had had. And um, CPS was involved in another kiddo's placement of hers and then she ended up placing through this to evade having to have cps involved in her situation um we had him five months i think and then he went back with mom and i believe he's still with mom or at least with kinship so um yeah that worked out decently well i think maybe not as well as the first story but he's still with her at least in some regard that's amazing yeah And then um, we moved out of Houston because we could not get out of Houston fast enough. So we moved back to Dallas and got licensed with CK Family Services. And when going through the home study, we were like, oh, only basic level of care, moderate with a lot of support. We won't take fire starters and abusive toward animals, no sexual abuse, no runaways, no feeding tubes. And then... um, We have now taken everything that we said we wouldn't take Um, because with with the emergency placements, you just don't know what you're going to get. So our first kiddo that came to us after that um, just put me in a chokehold within the first few minutes of being there. And uh, we had a big learning curve, but luckily really great support and took advanced classes on how to handle these therapeutic kids. And then uh, realized that it was kind of our calling to take care of these kids that other people wouldn't take. And so um, we have had a total of 13 kids come through our home. Um, We surrendered our license in 2018 after adopting our third kids. Um, We intervened in two Dallas County cases, uh, went all the way up to the Texas Supreme Court in one of the cases, Um, lost one got the other one. So that was our first adoption. And then 18 months later, I guess it wasn't actually 18 months later. Um, maybe six months later, 
18, when our first adopted child was 18 months old, probably six months or so after we adopted her, um, we took in two other kiddos that were, um, like a legal risk type placement. We knew that they had a pretty difficult past, um, they had had a failed adoption previously and had moved, I think one of them had moved six times, the other one nine times, um, just every form of abuse imaginable. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of define slash elaborate on legal risk and then also talk about the process with the court and what that looked like. Uh, yeah, so legal risk is not like actually a designation anymore. I think it used to be. It's basically, it's, rights have been terminated, um, but they're not in a placement that is adoption motivated. And so um, those kids are broadcasted generally and then would go to like a matched adoption placement. But they're in this interim period where they're still in foster care. They had they were broadcasted through the agencies before being put on the tear website, which is like where they're officially broadcast and you can look online to see the kids available for adoption. Um, and so we actually found out about them through Facebook because I'm friends with Vicki Akins, who um, is the founder of chosen ones. Um, and yeah, through that, we found these two kids because we had been looking and she knew that, we were on the search for our forever kiddos and um, yeah, we ended up with them. So our agency was like, have you read their file? Do you know anything about these kids? And I was like, I know their age and I know it's a girl and a boy. And that was all we knew. Um, and so they sent us their file and we know that kids can look really bad on paper and then you meet them and they're not as bad in person. So we decided to give it a try and here we are. It's been six years. So that's amazing. Now, just to clarify for maybe those that aren't familiar with the foster care system. So always the goal with foster care is reunification. Um, and that can be torture for foster parents if they know really what's going on with the reunifying party. But with this, this legal, legal risk situation, the reunification is off the table because parents' rights have been terminated and they're still in foster care. So they're still being taken care of by the state, but whoever's taking care of them does not wish to adopt them. Like they just want to foster. So yeah. that's from the point of view. Sometimes you can get a, a legal risk placement. That's right. The rights aren't terminated yet, but they're working toward that as well. And there just hasn't been trial yet, but yeah, that's the goal has changed from reunification. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then now as far as fight court, cause that's, I know that that's such a huge thing. I've had a few friends that have gone through that and it's. Oh, that's a very long story. <laughs> well, I would uh, love for you to share it with us. Just, I think that so much about the foster care process is hidden from the world. And I yeah. think that it's a beautiful thing to be able to bring it to light. So. Yeah. So we, um, our third placement, we, uh, had a relationship with mom while she was in prison. Um, I think that's kind of rare that that you can get CPS and all of the attorneys to be like, yeah, it's fine. Sure. Get to know her. Um, but we got that approval. And then I think they regretted it because mom and I ended up being on the same team and it didn't really align with what CPS's goals were for reunification. Um, 
So mom knew that she probably wasn't going to be able to get the kiddo back because um, her sentence was going to be over a year and she was somewhat of a career offender. So um, I just started talking to her, not with any real like goal in mind, except that I know that if I were in that position, I'd want to know where my kid was and that he was safe and taken care of. And um, my husband and I kind of also view it as part of our ministry that it's not just about the kids, but if we can share Christ and love with the biological parents too, we may be the only people who have done that. I mean, a lot of times there's these cycles of um, abuse. And so um, we, we like to reach out and have a relationship with the biological parents and offer support if we can. So um, we went through the process and now it's changed um, as far as how, how it is to talk to parents in TDCJ because we have another one in prison right now. And when we did it back in 2016 for this kiddo, um, I just set up a JPay account and then I was able to receive calls from her. But now you have to get on their call list, which means you have to give them your full name and address. Um, so we're a little hesitate, hesitant on, on doing that, but we have been able to with, with this current um, birth parent set up at least uh, messaging through Securus. But anyway, so back at that time, I was talking to her, I mean, I think daily. Uh, we were putting, I think, over $500 in our account to talk to her per month. Um, and so she would call, but we were the only people who would contact her. She didn't have family that reached out or anything. Um, and a relative came up that wanted to take custody of this kiddo under PMC. Um, it was a distant relative in a different state that. Well, you define PMC for people. Uh, permanent managing conservatorship is an agreement where um, the biological parents or one or more of the biological parents can keep their rights to the kiddo. But someone else that is not the biological natural parent um, is given the full custody, I guess. So then the parent is named possessory conservator. They're allowed to um, continue to have rights to the kiddo. And if they got their life together, they could come back sometime between after the first 12 months of signing that order and 18 to try to regain custody of the kiddo. Did I explain that well? Yeah, I thought you did. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make um, sure that we're getting all the acronyms and all the things so that people are on the same page as us. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so uh, they came up, they wanted to take custody. Mom was saying that she didn't think that was probably what was in his best interests. It wasn't, it was a super distant family relative. I guess this relative had said that they wouldn't allow her contact once the PMC had gone through. Um, and so we were kind of on the same page that we wanted him to stay with us. The Adlitum was on our side. The therapists all said, because he was a specialized level of care kiddo, that he would be best in our house. Um, and so uh, CPS continued to say that they felt that this relative was the best interest placement uh, and mom's attorney continued to fight for that, even when that wasn't her wishes. But other than that, everyone was on our side. Um, we ended up going to trial and uh, 
on the day of trial, CPS non-suited, which means they just they were going to terminate on both parents, and then that day decided not to terminate on any parents. Um, our pleadings were to terminate on mom, but because father was unknown and CPS was terminating on him, we didn't have any pleadings specifically for the unknown father. Um, so we got to court and because CPS had changed their pleadings, then mom's attorney came up and was like, look, they're not dealing with dad. We can't go to court today. It had already been pushed out 16 months. And so... Um, they dismissed us from the case and proved up PMC on the spot with uh, these relatives that had nine hours contact with him. Um, there's a lot of things that were illegal about the way that that was done. We ended up mandamusing the judge. Um, we went immediately to the appellate court. Um, we actually were granted a stay order. So when you submit what the district court's decision is to the appellate court, um, they if you get it, you'll get what's called a stay order, which stays whatever the status quo was before that order that's, um, that's there's discrepancies on was placed. So that would be for him to stay with us. Um, so in that stay order that we got within, I don't know, within like two hours from the appellate court, it said that he was not to leave our placement. However, CPS tried to, knowing that we were going to file that, tried to outrun um, the appellate court and had removed him five minutes before we got that order. So then when the um, appellate court said, you know, we can't, you can't remove him, the CPS responded to the appellate court by saying, your order says we can't remove him, but we'd already removed him and it doesn't say we have to bring him back. So, um, we went through an evidentiary hearing and then ended up, there was a really um, admonishing opinion that came out by the appellate court against the state uh, for the way that they handled everything. Um, and then we escalated it and did a concurrent mandamus in the appellate court and a petition in the Texas Supreme Court. Um, and then ultimately, because the court system just takes so long and it had been 18 months, we decided not to continue to pursue it because he had been in that placement for 18 months at that point. So that fires me up. Yeah. So that, mm. yeah. So while that was going on in order to prepare for trial, um, we had another kiddo in our placement that. Um, was uh, pretty medically involved and um, rights had been terminated. We were named the adoptive placement. CPS had PMC and we were in the 90 day period to adopt. Um, with all that was going on with trial and the fact that CPS doesn't like to be intervened against in cases, um, especially when you have a biological mother who's advocating for you. So even though like in the Dallas court, especially foster parents can't intervene before 12 months, we were only at eight months when we intervened. Um, but we were able to continue to kind of push that out to a year because we had mom on our team. Um, so it was just another one of those things that it just felt like God was really in. Um, but because there wasn't really anything that um, that CPS could do to 
prepare for trial. There wasn't anything that they really had as a good argument against us um, keeping him. And we had all of the parties on our side besides them. Um, They decided to start attacking us in our other case with our daughter um, that we were in the process of adopting. So um, we, I'm trying to think where to start on that one. Um, they, they were, this case was out of Dallas County as well, but in a different office building. One was in Stemmons and one was in Westmoreland. Um, and for our daughter, we, they called us and said, Hey, uh, we're picking her up tomorrow at 12. We're taking her to another family. And we were like, well, why, what are the issues? They didn't really have anything, Um, we didn't have an attorney for her. So most foster parents wouldn't be prepared. You wouldn't have an ability to fight that and you would have just lost the kiddo. But because we were already preparing for trial in this other case, we had an attorney that was available to us. And so we called our attorney and they reached out to state reps and we had several state reps involved. We went to court the next day and, um, uh, basically the argument and the state reps were on the same page was you can't just remove a kid like that, especially when they're named an adoptive placement. Um, you have to, you have to have some like allegation of abuse or neglect in order to just pull a kid out of a home without like a 30 day written notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't have that. So instead of going back on all of that, they started fabricating um, abuse allegations and calling in welfare checks on us and opening special investigations um, in Austin and all of these things. Um, and then on the day that he was removed, the day after they came and picked her up and took her to this other adoptive home that they had just told this other family as a basic placement and they were just getting her and this was their kiddo and here you go. Here's your placement. The other family just wasn't set up to adopt. Um, what was she at the time? Uh, 14 months, I think. Somewhere between 12 and 14 months. Um, they were not told that the guardian ad litem had put a temporary restraining order CPS so that they couldn't just move her placement and that we would get her back after those seven days. So um, after seven days, she came back. We had a contested adoption um, slash uh, restraining order hearing with CPS. Um, And during that hearing, the chief prosecutor of Dallas County that was representing CPS um, at that time withdrew during the hearing from representing CPS because he said he couldn't represent them in good conscience because of what they were doing in this placement. I mean, some of the things was like the CPS worker was lying to the doctor about medical issues she was having. And then the doctor testified on the stand that had he listened to the CPS worker, it could have killed the child. Like it, it got really ugly. Um, so I, Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting like yourself or your marriage, the rest of your family or the systems in your home, or maybe you're just ready for a change, but you don't know where to start. That's where we come in. Mama Systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized, more peaceful, and more balanced. And 
so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day. We'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community, that you take care of yourself, your marriage, and the rest of your family, and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right, back to our show. So if somebody's listening to this, like I make up, I know why they're doing this craziness, but somebody else may not understand. I make up that it's political that we have these elected people that say we have this great success rate of reunifying children with their birth parents. Is that kind of where you're, we adopted one of our kiddos who we adopted later, but when he was in Dallas County, that was kind of the thing I got was like, it didn't matter where he was going back to, if he was actually safe, if this was harmful for the child, what mattered was that they put the mom and the baby back together. I do think that in Dallas County, that is definitely a goal. I think also what I've noticed in Dallas County is that they don't like white families adopting black kids. Um, So I think that's part of it too. In this particular instance, it was a white baby and the home that they were putting her in was another non-relative. So rights had already been terminated on mom. There was no family. We actually had a separate private agreement with mom because when the baby was removed from us, mom was like, I want her with you. And so she signed a a separate private relinquishment to us, said she did the first time under false pretenses because she only signed with the understanding that we were the adoptive family for her. So it was messy. Um, I honestly think in part it's um, spiritual warfare because um, if you're going in to release these kids from a situation where, where Satan has a stronghold, um, over these vulnerable kids who have been through cyclical sin, um, and then you're coming in and you're trying to show them Christ and love and fight for justice. I think from a spiritual lens, that's part of it is you're fighting against the spiritual aspect of that. Um, I think in addition to it, I think, There are a lot of people who get into doing social work for the right reasons. They want to help out kids um, and, you know, be social justice fighters. Um, And then sometimes those people get burnt out or because upper management isn't necessarily on the same page with that, their hands are tied. And then I think there's other people who get involved in the system because, they've been through something themselves or whatever, whatever it is. And there may be an underlying motive that's less positive. Um, And in this particular instance, it felt like it was more of a power struggle with us. And it became like a game um, rather than being about the best interest of a life, even if it was just like a difference in opinion about what was best. Um, We had an awesome ad litem for her And the Adlitum said that she'd been doing it for 35 years and she would not believe what CPS was doing if she wasn't witnessing it for herself. So it was just like this game. And then after it was all over, um, I tried to report the um, the, uh, CPS worker in our case to the state licensing board because she was a licensed um, baccalaureate social worker and found out that she wasn't actually licensed. 
so that was on her business card and um, her email and everything else. And she wasn't actually licensed. So there was just a lot of corruption there. Um, but we won that case and we adopted her. But that was. Glad she's with you. I'm glad she's safe. Um, especially since that's what mom wanted. And like, yeah, that's what's best for the baby. Yeah. Like, what- yeah, we're actually going to visit that mom tonight to sign relinquishments for another kiddo. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's the kiddo you have placed with us. So I'm, you're going to have to catch everybody up on where you are in the lineup of this story and where you are now. Uh, yeah. So um, we adopted that kiddo about six months later, adopted two other ones, TPR termination of parental rights had already happened we took them in we got the first waiver um uh for expedited adoption in the county of like parker county for these two kiddos uh so normally when you adopt kids whether it's private whether it's foster care they have to be in your home for six months before you can finalize an adoption Um, We got a waiver because of the intensity of our kids' medical stuff and the fact that Medicaid couldn't cover some of the medical needs. We got a waiver so that we were able to adopt these next two kids after four months. So um, we got them. And then uh, we never were motivated to foster and adopt because of fertility issues. We just felt this was the Lord's calling in our life. Um, and so after adopting those three kids, we surrendered our license for foster care and, um, we decided to start trying and got pregnant within a week. And so we had that baby shortly after, um, adopting those kiddos. And then, uh, when our biological son was just a few months old, the biological mother of our first adopted kiddo, um, called us and said she was pregnant again. She wanted to try to keep the baby, but would we take the baby if she couldn't keep him? And that was over COVID. So initially we said, no, we just had a bio baby. Our hands are full, um, but that we would pray about it. And so we prayed about it and felt we were supposed to take him. And he's been a huge joy and I can't imagine our life without him. So we got him at 12 days old from the hospital in 2020 he's been with us for three years. Um, we have PMC of him. We signed that agreement with mom. Um, and now after three years, we are signing relinquishments with mom to adopt. So that's amazing. And that's happening tonight. Yes. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. We're excited. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. And then you had another biological, correct? Yeah. So then after him, we had another biological last November. Um, and then in March, we, uh, we are a family through Ohana Ministries, um, which is like a nonprofit out of Duncanville that does a lot to um, support non-traditional families, namely foster adopt um, families, but also biological families who are struggling And she'd been mentoring um, this family for, I think, seven or eight years. And um, one of the kiddos needed placement while mom was incarcerated. And we said we weren't really in a place to take placement, but we could do respite for um, just during spring break. And things, again, with CPS were a little crazy and not exactly as expected and 
Um, and so we ended up, we have him now and we don't have CPS involvement and everything's been a private case. And so. Has that been much smoother? Or are there more like kinks that you just were unaware of? I think the biggest thing with that is that two years ago, back in 2021, um, legislators changed the the way that it's written. So it used to be that CPS could get involved in custody um, when a child was at substantial risk. They changed it. So now CPS can only intervene and take custody of a kiddo if there's imminent danger. So this is a child whose mom... Um, He's made outcries as well as, you know, other kids um, from her home have have made outcries of uh, abuse. And then um, she's been in and out of incarceration. Um, And so there's definitely substantial risk. But because he's placed in a home that CPS is deemed safe, they don't consider him an imminent danger. Um, the thing that's been tricky about that is that when, so we had like a, a guardianship agreement with mom, but she revoked it. So then that revoked our educational and medical consent, but we weren't to six months yet. So we didn't have a way to intervene to actually have any custody to be able to get the kiddo medical and educational care. Um, and so that was really tricky. And I reached back out to state reps to be like, look, when you change the laws, like these are these are the kids that fall through the cracks because we're then in a position where if we give him back to mom, CPS isn't going to place him back with us because now we put the child in imminent danger. But then if we keep him, then we're, we're keeping him against a mom who's requested him back. That's not safe. We can't file anything legally and we don't have medical or educational consent for him. Um, so the loophole we ended up finding was to file a protective order because any adult that has ha- had the child in their home can file a protective order um, against family violence. And then through that protective order, we were able to ride on that until we got to six months and then file uh, SAPSR, which is a suit affecting parent-child relationship. We filed for termination. I didn't know that term at all. Sapser? Sapser. So that would be more like, rather than being in like um, a CPS case, mm-hmm. Sapser more of like family law and like a divorce type situation. Okay. Wow. I mean, you've been through everything. <laughs> We're learning as we go. <laughs> Probably not everything. I'm sure there's more coming. <laughs> Are all your kids um, specialized level of care? Um, no, our bios aren't. And then the um, the kinship placement that we took from the first adopted kiddo is not. But okay. all of our kiddos that we adopted or are in the process of adopting are. Okay. But they're all adjusting well and doing well. Yes. Yeah. We're in a really good good place the last few years that's really good I mean yeah. that, as a mom that feels really good to just be like we're in a good place so I'm, that makes yeah you guys definitely well Abby I'm so grateful for you just sharing your story and kind of opening I feel like you just opened some eyes to some things that that are big things that we need to be talking about and we need to be advocating for not only in our homes but with the law, have you been able to work with anybody 
specifically like any representatives or anything and getting more laws changed or is that like we don't have time for that right now because you're taking care of these people um we haven't actually i mean i guess back in 2017 when we were going through the first adoption and all the corruption that we saw we were more involved with like um i guess some of the reps that were involved in changing laws and advocacy and things like that since then we haven't been as much involved with that um just timing wise now raising seven kids but uh, melanie marks out of denton is amazing and responsive and great um and she has helped us with a fair hearing that we just went through with one of our kiddos because um with taking these specialized level of kids in, um, when you take in a kid who's been broadcasted, if termination of parental rights has happened longer than 24 months um, before you adopt, um, you and the child is specialized or above, you're eligible for what's called enhanced subsidy. Um, Based on the way that things were laid out for us, it was something that was offered to us that we declined because we wanted to get the children's medical stuff taken care of. So we, um, we just went through it at four months and we didn't wait for the full 24 months and everything else. So um, then four years into it, we had invested $120,000 into their medical and therapeutic expenses outside what I think Medicaid had was paying 475,000 per year for this kiddo. And then, our insurance was like an additional 300,000. So he was over a million dollars per year as far as what insurance was paying for. And then we were paying several thousand dollars in addition to that for specialized care. So um, we worked with Melanie Marks because we couldn't figure out how, if there was a way for us to go back on showing the merit for need um, of this enhanced subsidy. And so we worked with her and it's been just over a year It was a year in uh, July. So it's just been over a year that we've been in this fair hearing process with the state and it was granted for, for our son. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just chat for two seconds about the subsidy piece. And I think that a lot of times people will think that, oh, people are fostering because they get paid to, and you're like, yeah, right. Like you get basically nothing for them. Right. Um, So basic level of care is like, hey, a a white kid goes into the foster care system and you adopt them at age two. Like that's a basic level of care. But then a level up is specialized level of care. Moderate. Oh, moderate. I'm so sorry. A moderate is sibling group. So moderate, it has to do with, uh, so they consider it a special needs placement or, you know, um, eligible for subsidy if it's a white child over six, a black child over two, or a sibling group, um, or a, a level of care, I think, moderate or above. Um, for the the enhanced subsidy, they have to be basically unadoptable because um, they have to go through where rights have been terminated. They haven't been able to find an adoptive home in for two year time frame, they're at least specialized level of care, which is like the third level of care therapeutically. The next one up would be intensive or medical primary medical needs. Um, and 
then they'll offer that for these kids who otherwise are just at risk of aging out of the system. Okay. All of that's really confusing. I'm like, I went through it and I'm like, oh, I see why I'm confused by it. Um, so our two of ours were specialized just because of all of their therapies and everything. And so when I spoke with the lady, she was like, oh, if you're involved in this many therapies or more, then you qualify for the specialized care. And it's like an extra hundred dollars a month or something like it's, it's nothing really. Um, it maybe yeah. pays for the gas money to get you to all the therapies maybe. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. So it's not like huge amounts of money, but every, like, I think that there's so much more behind it of like, Hey, we support you as you're taking care of this child. I think that that mental they're backing me up financially feels really good. So uh, it helps at least, um, with yeah the holes in the walls and gas money and you know um our kiddos are so we have two kids who have a dissociative identity disorder diagnosis which is formerly known as multiple personality disorder um and so with that diagnosis it's extremely hard to find anyone who knows how to treat a child who's been diagnosed with such a severe disorder. It's a trauma disorder and it's actually curable if you can get the right treatment for it, but it's really hard to come by um, treatment. for. So we ended up having to fly to Marquette, Michigan, because we found a world expert who's done research studies and um, specifically has like written the book on childhood association. So we flew to Marquette, Michigan and did a week-long intensive for both of our kids with her and then continue to follow up with her and consult with her and at times do telehealth with her. And because she's out of state, she's not covered by our insurance. Um, so we have to pay for that. But we, I mean, even going through the Child Advocacy Center and asking for a therapist, they said our kids were outside the scope of their practice. Um, and we've gotten a list of probably over 150 therapists and I've called all of them and either you'll get someone who says, yeah, I can try. Sure. And then they drop you as soon as something kind of freaky comes up or, um, people don't even want to touch it because they don't know what to do with it. Um, and if you get a therapist who doesn't know what they're doing, it can very quickly destabilize the kids. So it's, that's been difficult because there's a lot of like having to pay out of pocket because this is such a world expert that we have to see um, isn't covered by insurance. And this is the only person who's able to help our kiddo. Um, we've also been consulting with Leslie Korn, who's um, so the first one is Fran Waters. She's out of Michigan. She's the world expert um, who's worked with kids. We've worked with Nayama Yehuda, who is a um, trauma informed uh, speech therapist who wrote the book Communicating Trauma. And so she also does a lot with dissociation and this kind of thing. Um, Fran Waters has a book called Healing the Fractured Child. And then Leslie Korn is another world expert that we've worked with who I, I know she works with Harvard. I don't know if she in the School of Psychiatry I would mess it up if I said exactly what her qualifications are, but she, um, she does like continuing education certification courses on like integrative medicine and stuff. And she works specifically with complex mental health disorders. Um, and with these traumatized kids, especially to the degree of dissociation, um, as multiple personalities is like a lot of these therapists and stuff will recommend like mindfulness. 
But mindfulness for a child who's been so traumatized, uh, the idea of going into your body when your body's not a safe place causes more dissociation. Um, and so she's been really helpful in helping us change diet um, to help lower inflammation because when you have high amounts of stress for a long period of time, your cortisol actually goes from being too high to there being a deficiency in cortisol. Um, and then you have inflammation and you can have autoimmune things and all kinds of other things that come from it. So they're on a specialized diet, which also costs more money. And then we have all these supplements and stuff that we're using to try to re-regulate their neurochemistry and just bodies. Um, and then with them being on so many other psychotropic medications that can deplete certain vitamins. And so she helps us counter that with prescribing certain vitamins. So there's that whole expense of these supplements. And then very specialized therapy called um, visceral manipulation therapy, cranial sacral therapy, cranial electrical stimulation, um, PTSD massage, like these different things um, that can help the body to... I guess, come out of that tra traumatized state without being as triggering as like a mindfulness practice or uh, trauma processing. Um, but all of that costs money too. Plus she costs money. So um, it ended up just kind of adding up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so much. Like caring for a special needs child alone is expensive, but then adding on all the other attorney fees and then adding the mental health piece of it all. Like, it's just so much. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that you're fighting for these kids and that you're advocating for them. We love doing it. That's our calling. Um, if you're okay with it, I would love to share just kind of contacts, all the people that you just said in the show notes. Yep. And we'll, we'll get all those and put their, their information in there. Um, Abby, is there anything that you would want to say to moms to encourage them kind of in their foster care journey? Um, I think the main thing is, uh, I think there are several times where, you know, you look at the situation and it's really hard and you're just thinking like, why did I do this? <laughs> or I can't do this and I want out. Um, and just, I think reminding yourself that you were called to it and that the Lord gave you these children for this season, for the, for whatever reason and asking him and going to him with, okay, Lord, why me? Why now? Um, I think was, was helpful for us. And it's been really encouraging too, for us to look back and to see how many times the Lord went before us with having just this right person that came along and then helped us through this difficult season or, um, you know, this sermon we listened to, and then it's so applicable at this point. Or, you know, this and such a person who volunteered at church that was able to handle these behaviors and then now has moved on. Um, just, just to recount how many times he goes before us helps give peace and trust that when these things come up in the future, that he's going to not leave us there either. Um, and I think that's, that's probably been the main thing that keeps us going in these really difficult seasons. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, 
will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.